don't know about you, but uh, you know, I look at uh, I look at some of the the things that that happened over the the weekend and and the storm and the rain and the winds and and I'm I'm so thankful to God that for for His grace and His protection during during those times. Um, and we saw trees uprooted and crazy, crazy stuff. Um, but what a what a beautiful illustration, though. Thank you, Scott, for and and team for leading that song. Uh, I think that's such a such a beautiful picture of the of the ferocity of of the love of God that He has for each and every one of us. Well, a young man named Johnny was working for a shipping company, and it was grueling work, but Johnny was, was working hard to support himself as, as he attended college, and he often found himself working late into the night, either working for the shipping company or studying. Well, after a, a short season of this, Johnny decided it was time to blow off some steam. There was a, a break that was coming in his school semester, and he decided, you know what? I'm going to take some time off. I'm going to take some rest. Because after all, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, right? Well, as, uh, as he was beginning to fill out a request form for this vacation, he, he noticed all of the options that were available to him. And as he looked as to, to figure out which one was appropriate, he saw some, some check marks that looked like they would be kind of expected. So you have things like family emergency, or sick leave, but then he spotted religious holiday. So uh, naturally, uh, out of those options, Johnny chose religious holiday, and, and soon after his request was filed, his supervisor came to him and, and pulled him into a, his office for a meeting. Johnny, I didn't know you were a religious man. It's the middle of June. What religious holiday is in June? Well, the feast, sir, he replied. The feast? I grew up Catholic and my wife is Jewish. We celebrate all sorts of things, but I've never heard of the feast. Tell me all about this feast, would you please? Must be a Protestant thing. Well, let me tell you, the feast is celebrated in memory of the parables of, of the ten virgins that Jesus talked about, about the, the five smart ones with oil for their lamps and the five stupid ones who didn't bring any. The feast is what the five smart virgins got to celebrate in with the bridegroom and the rest of the wedding guests. It's a week-long event, like most Jewish weddings were during that time, that period of time, of course. Baffled by the details, the supervisor shakes his head, muttering the same sentence that he'd made prior. Must be a Protestant thing. <laughs> well, my brother got the time off of work and I got a fantastic story out of it. <laughs> well, the feast is not an actual holiday. Uh, we are actually going to be talking about this parable uh, today. We are in the middle of a series called In Other Words. These are the, the parables of Jesus where we're taking a deeper look at the parables or the stories that Jesus shares to help us understand God and his kingdom and his design for fulfilled life better. And, and if you're a guest with us today or if you're listening online because uh, I know that, you know, it's summertime and, you know, people are away or they're camping or, you know, or, or maybe they're just kind of curious. Um, but if you're, if you're listening online or if you're a regular attender or visiting, which kind of encompasses everyone here, um, I want to kind of give you a little bit of a thing up front. What I'm going to be sharing with you today is a little bit of a doozy. 
So I want you to hang in there with me because I guarantee you this, that if you have ever had, if you've ever, ever had a bad church experience or you've known somebody who has, there is something that's in this message. There's something in this message that either you wish or wish somebody has heard about six or seven times. And so I want you to hang in there, buckle up, hang in there with me because we're gonna be talking about this parable uh, in which where my brother got this clever idea from to ask for a vacation day. Like who does that? <laughs> Apparently Johnny does that, my brother does that. And he's gonna be listening to this online. So Johnny, I am telling on you in front of my entire congregation right now. But anyway, hey, we're gonna turn to, uh, we're gonna turn to Matthew chapter 25. It'll be on, on page 806 in the Bibles in the, uh, in the rack in front of you. Or if you've got a uh, tablet or smart device that you wanna follow along with. If you do bring one of those to church, like I highly recommend the YouVersion app. Great resource uh, for having the Bible in your pocket at all times, but uh, we're, gonna be, uh, we're gonna be diving into Matthew chapter 25. Uh, we're gonna be starting in, in verse one. And if you don't have either, we're gonna follow up on the screen. It's gonna be up on the screen too. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. <clears throat> Excuse me. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. There's a lot that's going on in, in this parable. And, and Jesus is in the middle of, of something that's called the Olivet Discourse. If, if you've been around the church, it's kind of like the, the Sermon on the Mount. If you, if you haven't been around, around the church at all, the, the Sermon on the Mount and the Olivet Discourse are collections of, of Jesus' teachings and they, they often piggyback off of each other or, or are self-referential. They are, they are best understood within the context uh, of themselves. Oftentimes one will start with a, you know, because of this other thing that I told you, then, you know, then there's this other thing that I'm going to tell you, which is going to then springboard into another, another teaching. Um, so, so we need to understand a little bit of that. And I want to give you a little bit of the, the context uh, of what's going on here, the, the context. Um, some call the Olivet Discourse the little apocalypse. Now, this is not to be confused with my little pony, just to let you know. <laughs> 
Um, in, in particular, in this particular collection of teachings, Jesus is letting people know that it's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. Well, after this, you may. Um, and and there's, there's some urgency, there's some urgency to be ready for it when it does come. Now, now if, you, if you're like me at all, um, when you hear the, the word apocalypse, like, there are several things that come to mind. Like, we, we get in, into our mind pictures of riots in the streets or wild children violently ripping apart tissues or no more internet. Or if you're nerdy like me, a comic book villain. Um, but Jesus isn't talking about any of, of that. I heard that, Raina. <laughs> Uh, Jesus isn't talking about any of that. Uh, he isn't even talking about a zombie apocalypse, nuclear fallout, or the fall of life, liberty, the American way, baseball, and apple pie. He's talking about the completion of his restoration work in order for his kingdom to come in its fullness. This kingdom here has to end. And, and so like he does, Jesus likens the anticipation of this event to ten virgins waiting for the return of a bridegroom, because why not? For the sake of this discussion today, we're, we're going to substitute the, the word bridesmaid for virgin, and, and, and here's why. Um, Jesus, when he told these parables, when he told stories, he, he told them in terms in which people would have understood, that they would have been, you know, he, he doesn't go into great detail describing what a shepherd is. Because people, you know, are aware of, hey, this is, this is what a shepherd is and this is what a shepherd does. And so, and so in, in this particular writing, in the account of Matthew, Matthew is also writing to a Jewish audience. And, and so when, when Matthew talks about, uh, or when Matthew writes that Jesus talks about uh, these, these ten virgins that would have been out there, what he was referring to was, a, was young unwed girls who would attend to the bride and groom during a wedding celebration. So for a 21st century Western audience, really, I think one of the, mo the more appropriate uh, terms for us to understand the, the story here is to replace virgin with, with bridesmaid. And this is really a crucial distinction because in modern weddings, they, the bridesmaids really have like this similar function um, that though you can be married and be a bridesmaid today. Um, the, the job is to assist the needs of the bride to make sure that she is ready to meet her groom, to lead the way into their meeting, and to see that nothing stands in the way or interrupts the celebration, that, they, that nothing separates these two any longer. You know, this last week, Bailey and I celebrated our, our eight-year anniversary, and, and as I was preparing for this morning and we were reflecting on, uh, on the events that took place in our wedding, there was a time in which our bridesmaids had to step in to a situation to keep, to keep things from getting distracted from the rest of our day. Actually, one of our, uh, one of our bridesmaids had uh, an ex-boyfriend show up uninvited. He just kind of invited himself to the, uh, the celebration, and, uh, and so she, uh, she kindly escorted him out so that he wasn't a distraction uh, to the celebration. But in this text here that we're talking about, it comes back to the bridesmaids always always a bridesmaid. And in this story, there are, there are six characters, and we're really only going to be able to talk about two of them. 
but to, to cover the rest of the details so that you're not like missing out on anything here and you get a better grasp of the story that Jesus is sharing. Um, know that the, the, bride's groom, the bridegroom represents Jesus and the bride is his church and the party guests are those who have gone already ahead into eternity with him. And like most parables, he invites us to find ourselves in his stories. And to give you a hint, at least one of the characters in the story is you and me. And, and that outcome really depends on a few things. But I'm going to give you a hint. It's always a bridesmaid. Well, let's look at these two characters uh, these, these two characters that we find, letter A, uh, we have the, the bare minimum bridesmaid. This is the foolish, the foolish bridesmaids. We're introduced right away to five foolish bridesmaids. Their role was clear from the very beginning. Wait for the bridegroom and make sure that nothing gets in the way of him getting to his bride. This would take some, some preparation and some consideration. This was a high honor to be asked to, to be a part of this. And, and they probably would have known a little bit of, of what was expected of them during this time. You know, from the details of the story that Jesus gives us, it sounds like they'd done some minor preparations. I mean, they were where they were supposed to be. They were in the right location. And, and they may have had the right tools, but they had no fuel. And so let's, we want to look at some characteristics of the, the bare minimum bridesmaid. Characteristic number one is that they were ill-prepared. This is kind of the obvious one that's right up front. They hadn't really considered what it actually meant to fulfill this honor. They didn't really take time to prepare themselves for participating in this thing that they were called by the bride and the bridegroom to be a part of. You know, Benjamin Franklin once said uh, that if you fail to plan, you are planning to fail. It seemed for these five that there was not a lot of preparation that went in. Characteristic number two, uh, they were apathetic. They were apathetic. When, when they went out to meet the other bridesmaids, they, they didn't seem to care. They didn't really seem to care that they weren't meeting the requirements of their role. I mean, here's, here's the kicker to me. Like, and this, is, this blows my mind as I, as I was reading this this week. I think the reason why that they were, they were called foolish isn't just that they were ill-prepared, but they didn't even care to correct their mistake. They didn't even care to correct their mistake. Jesus really doesn't go into any exhaustive detail about the time frame of when they showed up in the location and when the bridegroom arrived, but it was enough time. It was enough time for them to become dreary and fall asleep. But in that time frame, surely, if you were to show up to a place and there was an expectation that 
I am bringing myself to this place prepared for this thing that I have been asked and, as, as an honor to be a part of and do. Like, wouldn't you think that there would be some like measure of care? But there was nothing. There was no action. Characteristic number three, they were, they were selfish. Now, I, I know what you're thinking, because um, I thought some of these things too as I was reading this. Like, isn't it the other five bridesmaids? Like, aren't they the ones that were kind of selfish because like, you know, the, the five foolish ones, they, they asked and then they were, they were denied? Like, like what's, what's the deal here? Well, the, the five foolish, they demanded resources from the other five. Like the, the five foolish demanded that the, the, the wise five gave them some of their oil. So was it selfish that the wise ones didn't share that they were still counted or still like hailed in good character? It's a great question. I don't think so. I, 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 think, that they were, I think that they were justified in this because if they had shared that oil they would have all run out and the bridegroom would have been further delayed getting to his bride. Now, now this doesn't seem like it's a big deal until you know this, this one little piece here. In Jewish culture, after an engagement, the, the bridegroom would go away and he would prepare a place to bring his bride to after the wedding celebrations were over. And oftentimes, the, the, uh, the, the bridegroom would work with his father and they would, they would work for months and months and months to get this place just right. And I, and I don't know about you, but I can picture in, in, my, in my mind a very eager bride's bridegroom saying, Dad, I just want to be done. I just want to go and bring her home. I just want to go. And patience, son. How selfish would it be to delay him longer by a lack of preparation? Characteristic number four, there was a, they were entitled. There was a sense of entitlement. At some seemingly awful hour of the night, they run back into town buy oil, and come back. And they kind of had this expectation that the other bridesmaids ought to have given them some of their oil and, and that, that they ought to be let in to the party. Now, if you've ever worked for somebody and you have not fulfilled the, the job requirements for that job, will you keep that job? Probably not very long. It's kind of the similar situation for these five. They had one job. Be ready for the bridegroom and prepare the way. And so the outcome of this was that they were left outside. Well, let's look at the other five here, the, uh, the wise bride, bridesmaids or the Boy Scout bridesmaid. 
Now, I lasted about a year or two in Boy Scouts, and, and I only remember a little bit of something in their motto says so something about be, like always being prepared or something like that. Um, but I didn't get like my underwater basket weaving badge or anything like that. Um, but when I, read, when I read this parable, like I, I see this kind of spirit in these bridesmaids that they were, they were prepared. They were ready to go. And so, so characteristic number one, they were always prepared. They knew what was required of them and they carried out their tasks. And, and in their preparation, their, their preparation readied for them, them for whatever they would face. There was no telling how long it would be between the time that they were instructed to wait and the time the bridegroom would return. But they were ready for it. And they brought extra resources just in case. Characteristic number two is they were aware they understood the importance and gravity and urgency of this role that they had. They knew that at any point in time, the bridegroom could return and that it was their responsibility to reunite the bridegroom with his bride. Characteristic number three, they were shrewd. Now, shrewd is not exactly a characteristic that, um, that we talk about a lot. We kind of think like miserly when we think shrewd. We think of like Ebenezer Scrooge or something like that. Um, or if you grew up in like the DuckTales generation, Scrooge McDuck. Um, but uh, but they, were, they, were, they were shrewd. They, they, didn't allow, they didn't allow the circumstances to take their eyes off of what was important. They, they didn't allow themselves to be distracted by, what was, by their role, by what was important. And, and they, uh, they wouldn't allow anything to draw them away from the bridegroom's return. Characteristic number four, they follow the bridegroom closely. Their preparations enabled them to be at the bridegroom's side when he was reunited with his bride. And so the outcome was an invitation to celebration. They had done their job well. And so he joyfully invites them. Like, how beautiful of a moment that is, right? Like, I, I love that, like, that first look on a groom's face when he sees his bride for the first time. I, I love it. It's, it's this beautiful, awesome expression of, like, oh, there she is. Um, it's great. But to be able to participate in that and to be a part of that is, is so, so awesome. So, of course, you know, the, the question is, so what? what is, why does all of this matter? What do, we, what do we do? What do we do with all this? Well, we get to number three here, which is the consideration. Remember that Jesus invites us to find ourselves in this story. And what it really comes down to is a bridesmaid. It's always a bridesmaid. But before you answer that too quickly, we need to take a minute and we need to do, we need to do a little bit of personal inventory here. You know, David, in the, in the Psalms, he wrote, search me, O God, and know my inmost being. Root out in me if there's any offensive way and trust me, he will do that. If you pray that, like he will do that. And, and especially as you start asking questions like we, we are about to ask. Question number one is if, if Jesus were to walk into the room today, 
would he see a family resemblance in us? Would Jesus see a family resemblance in us? You ever like meet somebody and then like meet their brother or sister or something like that and you're like, oh yeah, I, I, can, totally, I can totally see that now. Like there's a, there's a family resemblance. There's some type of familial connection that's there that's, that you can see that. Maybe it's a, the way that somebody talks or, you know, the, I know that I'm often, you know, in, in present days often sounding more and more like my father. Uh, there's, a, there's a family resemblance here. I favor my father. But if Jesus were to walk in here, would there be a family resemblance between you and him? Would he recognize us as his own? Let's ask another question, maybe back up a little bit more. Do we care about the things that he cares about? Like, are, are those things our primary focus? Like, nothing else gets in the way of that thing. Like, that is our primary focus. Like, are we seeking to be like Jesus as disciples or, or uh, are our lives modeled after the life of Jesus? Do we care about the things that he cares about? Does our heart beat with the things that beat with the heart of God? Does our heart break with the things that make God's heart break? Are we actively pursuing him? and pursuing to be like him. If somebody were to ask your spouse or your neighbors or your kids or your coworkers, would they see Jesus in you? Let's take this one other step and then I promise I'm done asking questions. Do we try to manipulate his bride? and try to make her what we want her to be. Like, if you've ever been, like, a part of any type of, like, wedding preparations, like, everybody has an opinion as far as, like, what the bride should do, what they should wear, how the wedding should be, how many guests should be invited, um, what type of food they should have at the reception, whether they should gently, gingerly feed each other cake or smash cake in each other's faces. I mean, you go down the laundry list, everybody has an opinion as far as what ought to be done. Do, do we do that to the bride of Christ? Are, are we trying to make her in our image and make her into something that makes us feel good? Or are we, are we helping her become the thing that is going to be the most pleasing to him? Remember, Jesus loves the church so much. He loves the church so much that he gave himself up for her. And if we have to think uh, about these things deeply and we, we do have to, th to wrestle with these things and, and I would really encourage you, have some open conversations about this stuff because this is too important. It's too important for us to just be like, nah, I'm good. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spend time on that. It's too important. Because see, here's, here's the thing. Remember that five of the bridesmaids were considered foolish because they saw what was wrong and they didn't even care enough to do something about it. They changed nothing while there was still time. But they did make excuses. 
please don't be like that. And, and maybe you're here this morning and you're like, you know what, I, I've heard this all before and I know that I can never, I can't measure up to that standard. And if that's you, I want you to hear two things. I want you to hear two things that, that, that are incredible pieces of hope here today. Thing number one is this. We are all invited into the celebration. Jesus invites us to join in his kingdom. His kingdom is at work here and now, and he wants to invite us into its fullness when, it, when he comes. But we have to accept it. And it means that if we do, that we live our lives under a completely different set of ethics. And ultimately, we choose what we do with the invitation and how we respond and how we live in accordance to that response determines which side of the door we end up on. So in a weird sort of way, we're also the doorman in this story as well. Thing number two. Thing number two is both the wise and foolish bridesmaids fell asleep. They, they both fell asleep. Um, even if we've accepted that invitation into his kingdom and, and we are living, we are living for his kingdom, guys, it's so easy for us to get tired. I know. It, it's easy for us to grow weary. And it's in moments like these that I am reminded I am reminded of my own desperation and our collective desperation for the needs of, God, of God's help in the midst of the struggles. The beauty is that we don't have to stay in them, but he calls us beyond them. And don't think for a second that there's no hope because Jesus Christ defeated sin and death on the cross and in his resurrection and he has defeated our, our greatest weaknesses and our greatest temptations and you don't have to stay in those places. You don't have to stay asleep and unprepared. I thank God for the grace that there is in this or unmerited favor. I know in my own right, I can't do those things on my own. It is only by inviting him into the day and the day to day and resting in him and relying on the strength and the power of his Holy Spirit who walks with us, enabling us to live lives that are holy and right before God. We still have our weaknesses and he still beckons us to his side. Remember, the bridesmaids fell asleep for a while, but they were still focused on the bridegroom and were still able to enter into the celebration with him. Well, friends, the bridegroom is delayed, but Jesus is coming back. He will return, and he will return for his bride that he loves so much. God will return for his church and we need to be ready. We need to make sure that nothing gets in the way of him being reunited with her and making sure that she is the pure and blameless church that he fell in love with, ready to be reunited with him. 
And for us, it requires us to be prepared to meet with him at any time. Jesus himself said that no one knows the day or the hour that he'll return. But we need to be aware of the responsibility that we have in readying the bride. And it will demand that we be shrewd, not allowing anything to take our eyes off of his mission. And Jesus invites us to follow his footsteps closely like a bridesmaid, always a bridesmaid. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this lands in a whole bunch of different places. There's a lot to consider in this and a lot that uh, we don't take it lightly. And so God, I, I pray that as we, uh, as we take some time in, in careful uh, consideration that, uh, that, you would, uh, that you would speak to us and God, that you would uh, transform us too. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.